Hi, I'm Stacy Jagger. Welcome to the Inspiring Families podcast. Our goal is to help families heal, grow, and thrive by offering encouragement and empowering family members to connect with one another. Well, Lisa, I am so happy that you're here with me today. I want you to know that you're probably one of my very favorite people on the planet. And I I say that honestly, I'm so grateful for you and for how open and honest you've been to me and with me through the years. I think I may just have you introduce yourself, but I'll tell you what my heart when I think about Lisa Dion is this woman is an amazing businesswoman. She is a mother. She is the founder and creator of the Synergetic Play Therapy Institute. She is a Demartini facilitator. But more than that, she has taken her heart and really taken it to the whole world. Mm-hmm. And I want to introduce you to her. She's a friend and colleague and a mentor of mine and has really um, been a huge part of me feeling empowered in who I am as a mother, as a clinician, as a coach. And I just really want to hear, I want all of you to hear her story. And I am going to just hand you the baton and I may, um, through this conversation, interrupt you if that's okay, if I have questions, Um, but maybe you can introduce yourself and then we want to hear the story behind Lisa Dion. Thank you, Stacey. The, um, the sentiment is very mutual. It has been a honor to know you and to be a part of your journey and to watch you walk alongside you, all of that cool stuff. So thank you for being such an inspiration to, uh, to so many. And I got the warm fuzzies over here in that little introduction, um, Stacey. So thank you. Gosh, my story like there's so many facets, right. To why somebody is like who they are or, or how they become whatever they've become. I'm curious, like, where do you, where would you like me to start? I want, I want you to first talk about where you were raised. I know you lived overseas, but I don't have all of those pieces together. And then we can kind of morph into you being, having been a single mother for now, how many years now? Um, Over 10. Yeah. And just speaking to single mothers that whoever's going to listen to this of how inspiring it is of when you find yourself in a position like that, Mm -hmm. that you really can heal, grow and thrive. You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay feeling like a victim. That's kind of where I'm headed. But if you can do like a little snapshot of your upbringing, I think that would be a great place to start. Awesome. So I was born in the United States. I was born in New Jersey, um, actually. Okay. But very quickly, um, my family moved overseas to Colombia. So I was actually raised overseas in uh, Colombia in South America until I was eight years old. One of the things that was so significant for me about that is that my parents decided to put me in the public school system instead of the international school system, Okay, which meant that I was, before I knew how to speak Spanish, I was sitting in classes, not understanding a word of what the teachers were saying. And being asked to adapt to a culture that I had no reference point for. Mm-hmm. And I had the experience of what it was like to be the different one in class. Okay. That began my journey. I'm saying that because I love people. And I love people from many, many walks of life. And I'm fascinated by people. And I'm fascinated. I'm very driven to travel globally and to share uh, my teachings on a global level. And I think part of that came from this, just my love for being raised in a different country, um, being curious about other people, um, recognizing differences, similarities, all of, all of yeah. that. So I am what you would call a third culture kid. 
So a third culture kid, some people call it uh, bicultural. That's another another uh, term that's often used. But what it means is that you're raised in a culture that isn't of your origin, but you also don't spend enough time in the culture that is of your origin. So you actually don't form an identity to either one of them. And what happens then is you create your own sense of identity through a third culture, a third something. And that is very true for me because people will ask me, like, Lisa, where's your home? Oh. Now, is this why you love airplanes so much? Like, it is. Like you're at home in an airplane. Can you talk it's, about that for a minute? I found that so interesting that yeah. you feel more at home in an airplane than anywhere else. Like, talk it's, about that for a second. Because of what we're talking about here. Even though I've now lived in Colorado for over 20 years, this doesn't feel like home for me. When I go to places that are, you know, places of origin, like where my uh, grandparents used to live or what, like it, that doesn't feel like home. So my sense of home isn't in a location. My sense of home is in a transition because my life was about transition and about travel and about finding a home within me versus mm-hmm. finding a home out, out here. I think that's part of also what has inspired me over the years to focus on my teachings whether it's parents or clinicians around this concept of connecting in here and attaching in here and um, forming a deep relationship in here, because this idea of, if you got this, you can kind of go anywhere, which is really a reflection of my journey as a kid of trying to find my own internal sense of where home was. And since it didn't really make sense out here, in here is where I went, but it's true. People will say, Lisa, where's your happy place? And it is um, usually row eight on the right side of the airplane <laughs> at the window. Uh, that's great. <laughs> so maybe yeah. talk about your, talk about your journey to finding home being inside of you. Yeah. So much of what I have learned from you and having gone through the introduction training with SBT and this whole idea, I think I talked to you on the phone once and I was like, I'm so confused about what you're talking about. Like, I think I might need to go to the advanced training or whatever. But I think that I've started to formulate for myself what that means to me, but maybe you can talk about what that means to you and what has been your journey to finding that journey back to yourself. Yeah. So let me put in another interesting piece of my story in that I'm also um, a twin, like literally I I have a twin brother. And so identity, you know, in addition to, I mean, we're talking about like home as in, in a location, but also identity in relationship has also been a huge question for me ever since I, well, was conceived because I've been sharing space with someone for a very, very Your whole life, my yeah. whole life. I, I came in sharing space, but one of the unique things for me in my experience as a twin was that we were often called the twins. Uh-huh. Oh, there's the twins. Yep. And so it took me a long time to figure out who's Lisa and who's Steven versus, yeah. well, we're just the twins. So now, when you- I can relate to this in a different way, Lisa. Mm. I don't know if you know this, but my older two sisters are twins. I think I did know that maybe. And yeah. they're, they are six and a half years older than me. So I was the baby sister, always wondering what would it be like to be in a twin relationship? Because you're never really invited to that bond, you know, like you just don't get a ticket to that party. So I find that really interesting. Keep going. Yeah. So that also created the question of home, but on a more like, uh, who am I in relationship with another person? And so I I really feel like because of being um, raised in a different culture and then um, we moved back to the States, but then I also moved back overseas to South America and then moved to Europe for a while. And and so I feel like this this question of, of who am I? Like just who am I in all of this? Who am I in the world? Who am I in the context of relationship has just been a really interesting question for me like lifelong. Right. And so for me, going back to this idea of connecting to myself. 
So you're like, yeah, but Lisa, like, what, you know, what, what is that? Or what does that mean? Um, it means that what does my relationship actually look like and feel like in here? So am I aware when I take a breath? Am I aware when I'm sad? Am I aware that I'm having a hard time? Am I aware um, of moments when my words don't match my actions? Am I aware of myself? Am I aware of, of myself and what happens when I'm talking to another person? Am I aware of what happens if I'm in a new environment? Like, just am I aware of myself? Kind of like, am I grounded in myself? And that has been such a cornerstone of, of um, my work and what I teach because I find that without it, we don't have an inner compass. And then we're lost. Not only lost in like, like life isn't as meaningful because like, sure. what am I up to? But we also can get lost relationally in that we start to try to be who other people want us to be. We start showing up like this is how I think I'm supposed to show up. This is what I'm supposed to do because this is what moms are supposed to do. You know, this is what wives are supposed to do. This is what business owners are supposed to do. And the supposed tos may not at all connect with what I actually want to do. But if I'm not connected to myself, I have no idea what that is. And I can get lost. Was there a crisis in your life where you had to like really look at this square in the face Mm -hmm. and can you kind of go back to your story and get us to that point? Yep. So I think there's actually been many crises. One of the crises was actually just being a twin, just like legitimately being pigeonholed. So I, I was literally told growing up, Steven's the smart one. And Lisa's the social one, which is hilarious because I'm actually the introvert and he's actually the extrovert. And I really minimize my own intelligence because, well, I'm not the smart one. So I'm not, I'm not supposed to be smart. So I didn't even try if that makes sense Okay. until my brother and I separated. uh, And then I was like, oh my gosh, well now who am I? And what are the possibilities? So that was one, just my journey as a twin in and of itself was a little bit of a, of a crisis. Um, The next one, a really big one was, so I was married for nine years. Uh, We were together for 11 years in that relationship. um, I had Avery who my daughter, who I can't believe she's about to turn 17 in like two weeks, which is Crazy. crazy. Oh my gosh. So crazy. And, um, okay. You're gonna laugh at this, Stacey. You're gonna straight up laugh at this. <laughs> I can't <'cause>, wait. <laughs> just cause I, of how you know me to be, but early on in the marriage, one of his <laughs> struggles with me was that I didn't have any of my own hobbies. Guy would go to the gym and I would legit sit on the couch and look out the window waiting for him to come back. Cause I, my world was, well, what, what does he want to do? Because I didn't, I was so used to orienting to someone else. That, that makes I, a lot of sense, Lisa. Yeah. So I, uh, it's not that I didn't have my identity in the, in the marriage early on, but I definitely wasn't claiming who I really am, what I really love, what really feels most true for congruent. me congruent yeah. for me so there was a lot of shoulds this is what a wife does um this is what you're supposed to do this is what it's supposed to look like and there was a lot of that now the beautiful thing of course you know we get married and we sometimes marry our mirror right so as i am in my own i don't know if i'm being true to myself my, uh, um, so Jeremy is his name. So Jeremy is going through his, um, parallel process at the time, which was his own discovery of his sexual identity, which resulted in him realizing that it was actually more congruent for him to be with a man than to be with a woman, mm-hmm. which then again was a whole other major crisis for me. What does that mean for me as a woman? Am I good enough? Uh, um, Am I enough? 
Um, why wasn't I not, why wasn't I enough? Mm-hmm. Um, why, why, you know, lots of, lots of really pushing in on the, on the parts of me that had not been honest with myself all along yeah. that were incongruent myself. So it was a right. beautiful, beautiful mirror um, for me in that way. But that was a huge, huge crisis for me to go through. Um, just and the Avery would have been how old when you guys divorced? Um, so we separated when she was four. Okay. And then divorced when she was five. Now, where were you in your business at that time? Great question. At the very, very, very early stages. So at the time, it was mostly my private practice. So therapists, you know, seeing clients mostly just one-on-one. Part of the beauty of that crisis was, so when, when we split, because it wasn't from this place of like, oh, I hate you or something, or you did something you know, it was really this place of, I mean, my heart was broken in, in, in many ways. And Mm -hmm. I I definitely, uh, it it was very, very, very hard on many levels. Um, we were able to make the decision from a place of open conversation. And in that conversation, of course, there was the financial talk. Mm -hmm. And what felt true for me was, well, Avery's my kid too. And so therefore I want to be a partner in contribution. So part of our agreement was that um, neither one of us would pay anything to the other person and that we would just split everything 50-50 and we would just be responsible for everything 50-50. That felt empowering for me. Um, I think that also stems from my parents divorced also when I was nine or 10. And I saw my mom or perceived my mom to be quite disempowered because she was so financially dependent on my dad um, okay. through that process. So I think there was that part of me that was like, no, I'm going to find a way to empower myself through this. And I'm going to, in my mind, I like, I'm going to pay for half because she's my kid too. Right. But I didn't have the money at the time, Stacey. So well, was, and so yeah. I'm I'm sitting here asking myself, you know, was that the moment that something was birthed inside of you that what doesn't kill you is going to make you stronger and you were just hell bent on figuring it out. And that's kind of part of why this podcast is existing is I really want to empower women, parents, kids, families, all of them to know that in our biggest crisis something is birthed inside of us that propels us in a direction that we may have never dreamed of, but putting one foot in front of the other and you find yourself more congruent to yourself because you're doing those brave things one day at a time. And that's so much of my own story. So can you talk about what was birthed in you at that point? Yes. Um, Looking at my kid, knowing I had just made a commitment to contribute to half of what she was going to need from a financial perspective, looking at my bank account going, well, this is going to be interesting because it ain't there. Lisa, <laughs> ah, you're so funny. <laughs> and then going, I have to build. I have to build. I have to build. I have I, to build. I have to build. I have to put food on that table. I have to make sure that the roof stays over her head. And it wasn't just for her, it was, and I have to build something for myself long-term too, because that that wasn't there for me either. It's me, it's me. And then came that congruency question of, okay, well, if I'm going to build, what would I love to build? So let's stop there. So Mm -hmm. if there is someone listening and they have just filed for divorce and they're Mm -hmm. looking down at a four-year-old saying, how in the world am I going to do this? Where would you suggest them begin to start asking these questions? Um, You know? Yeah. If you could only do one thing for the rest of your life, what the heck would it be? That's powerful. Uh If you could just do one thing for the rest of your life, what would you choose? What would you choose? Yeah. That's really, really good, Lisa. 
Because when we can identify what that is, then we can build it, right? We can build momentum over time with it, which is so different than, well, I'm just going to go get a job Uh or whatever, which I'm not saying might be necessary in the process of building, because sometimes that absolutely is true. But if we can find that thing that we're like, no, I totally want to do that. Like, I, I would love to do that. You know, I'd love to be a nurse or I'd love to be a school teacher or I'd love to, um, what, I mean, whatever it may be, you know, I'd love to be a bookkeeper. I mean, like who, whatever it is, you know, right. I'd love to be a, I'd love to be a chef and, you know, have a catering business, like whatever it is. When we can start to tap into that, because here's the deal, single mom, you know, building is no easy task, which means many, many hard roads ahead. So if I'm not choosing something that's meaningful for me, the probability of me giving up is going to be really, really high. Mm -hmm. But if I choose something that I innately feel drawn to, I have more resource and more momentum and more energy in me that those days when I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know, but we keep going because there's something that's, that's congruent about it. You know, you're willing to work just that little bit more. You're, you're willing to get creative in just that other little way, which is different than choosing something just to pay the bill. So talk about when you found your one thing, Mm. because you've done your one thing very well, sister. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, we'll talk about my one thing in, in two ways. So if we're going to talk about my one thing being helping people from like a, in a, from a psychology perspective, that was a lot of trial and error of um, going to college and signing up for different degrees and then falling flat on my face and almost being kicked out of university because, you know. I don't know this I, part of you. What were, your, what were your other majors? You got to tell us. Oh, my gosh. I was going to be a, um, a special education teacher. Okay. I was uh, going to uh, be a lawyer. Okay. I can see that. I was I going to mess with you. Gonna, uh, <laughs> I mean, I actually have a degree in political science. Okay. I'm sure I got that with um, C's across the board because Uh I barely attended classes. I just kept trying these pieces and it just wasn't quite it until I got a job at a international law firm, which in my fantasy would have been like my dream job. And I hated every moment of it. Okay. But man, was I fascinated by the relationships that were happening in that office. And I, and I was like, oh, I could watch, I could watch these relationship dynamics all day long. And that, that was helpful for me to really be honest with myself about how much I love psychology. Okay. Um, I had other influences that too, and that my mom was a therapist um, my grandfather, my mom's um, dad, was actually the first Freudian psychiatrist at the Mayo Clinic in the in the United States. Okay. Um, so there's a, there's a little bit of a lineage too. Yeah. But I just sort of pushed it away, pushed it away, pushed it away until I tried enough things that didn't fit, and I just was honest that I actually really love psychology. So that was that. But I think the story. That really is the one that you're looking for, which is around my decision to focus my energy on kids and families. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out of my my big crisis with Avery when I was um, pregnant. So, um, and I know we're bouncing around in my time. Now, I've heard, I've heard pieces of this story, but maybe you can like condense it so that the yeah. audience, whoever's listening, can understand how this all was birthed in you. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, I, and so out of the crisis comes the, the blessing. So when I was 29 weeks um, pregnant with Avery, we were in a hit and run car accident where I did go into labor and I was in labor for um, three days. 
I will go ahead and say the ending of the story, which is that I did not deliver her at that point, and I was able to carry her to 39 weeks. But during those three days, it was pretty touch and go, and it was high trauma, high crisis time. Um, I mean, down to the signing the documents to reserve her incubator that she was then going to have to live in for many months. Um, looking at housing because we were going to have to move and all Mm -hmm. kinds of interesting things. While I was in this scenario, I was told that I wasn't, uh, they didn't want me to move while I was in the bed because I'd just been in a car accident and they were really worried that my placenta might have um, shifted in some way. And so they really wanted me to stay still, which is not what my body wanted to do, Stacey. I'd just been impacted by a, by a car shock and my body wanted to stretch. It wanted to move. It did not want to stay still. And this was another moment of, I started to give my inner connection and authority over to the doctors. So I wasn't listening and trusting myself. And instead it was uh, just listening to what everyone was telling me that I was supposed to do. Meanwhile, I'm looking up at these, um, you know, two monitors, one that's tracking me, one that's tracking Avery. And like our vitals are like off the charts. Like we're clearly, we're both in distress. We're both, you know, we're both struggling. And I became super mesmerized by like when we were in sync and when we weren't in sync on the monitors, super fascinating. Um, Everything came to a head the second night, kind of like midnight, like second night that we were there. When I finally had it, I finally got pissed, Stacy, that I'd given up my own inner authority. And so I waited until the doctors and the nurses left and I pulled my butt out of bed. And I did exactly what they told me not to do. Was move your body. Was move my body uh-huh. and move and stretch and all of that. And um, I think here's a here's a significant piece for our, our listeners. Um As I was tuning back into me, and as I was listening to what I needed, I became aware of Avery at a deep level. And I became aware that the next day, I actually had only one more possibility in in the dosages of the medication they were giving me Mm -hmm. for my contractions to stop. Or the next day, I was going to be delivering a 29-week-old baby. And I knew enough in psychology to know that's not a good thing. That's not good. Yeah. That's not yeah. good. There's there's a lot of complications ahead for her and her life, you know. And so I closed my eyes and I connected to myself and I connected to Avery. And as I did, I heard this voice in my head and the voice said, dance. And so I did. And so it is whatever, one o'clock, two o'clock. I remember in the in the morning in my hospital room and I'm holding on to my belly, Stacy, and I'm just dancing around the room, just me and Avery. And I felt something beautiful happen between us where we got back in sync. It's like we had lost each other for a couple of days yeah. in all of the, in all of the crazy. And we found our way back and my system actually relaxed enough where I was able to crawl back to bed and I actually went to sleep. And then the next day, um, my contractions picked up again and things started to get crazy again. And I remember closing my eyes and remembering what it felt like to dance with Avery. To dance. Yeah. Dance. And I looked over so as I'm feeling the rhythm and I'm feeling me back to connected, back to trusting myself, back to doing what I needed to do, not what they wanted me to do back to connection with Avery. And I looked up at the monitors and we were totally in sync and I watched the contractions slow down and stop. And then we went home after that. And that was the blessing that came out of the crisis because that was what I like to say is that in that crisis, Avery was not supposed to be born, but my understanding of what it takes to help another individual heal a deeper understanding of my relationship with myself, a deeper understanding of the power of connection between two beings 
that was what was supposed to be birthed. And that's what I then took and then put into a practice or that became a question, I guess, that then um, over time birthed into synergetic play therapy. So um, I'll say one more thing before we ask your next question. People ask me when I hear, they hear this story, they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Gosh, what a, you know, what a jerk, whoever like hit you. And what I say is no, whoever that individual was that slammed into me on the highway and then took off has no idea how many people they have helped. Yeah. I have no clue. Was an angel yeah. in disguise sent me on my mission or at least clarified my mission for me. So profound. So profound. I mean, seriously. So how long after that did you meet John D. Martini and go through the breakthrough experience? And maybe you can talk about him for just a minute. I've been through that experience twice now. Yeah. So, but I'm going to let you chat about that. Yes. So uh, a couple years later, so maybe two years later, things were starting to come to a head in my marriage okay. um, about things that he was discovering. I was becoming more attuned with myself and realizing more like mm, the stay at home mom thing for me maybe not isn't really out. not really my 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 thing. Like I have other dreams and things that I would love to pursue. Uh, so things were really coming to a coming to a head. And uh, truly, it was one of those pieces where I walked into my office one day, and in the at the time, I was part of a wellness clinic, and there was a massage therapist there who had one of Dr. Martini's books on her bookshelf, in fact, had all of his books. And I would walk by there and be like, what weirdo? <laughs> I thought the same thing. What weirdo has like 10 books of the same person on their bookshelf, right? <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And that was, you know, truth, true thought. And, um, I guess I came in a little like defeated that day, just uh-huh. in everything. And she, um, who, by the way, is now one of my dearest friends, her name is Jolena. And she saw me and she asked me what was happening. And I shared a little bit about just all this confusion that was happening for me and how things were coming to a head. And she said, may I show you something? Kind of like step into my office. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I did, and she walked me through some of Dr. Martini's protocols, asking me some very precise and profound questions to help me begin to look at my situation in a new, in a new way, and it blew my mind. And I told myself, um, the next time he's in the United States, I will be on a plane to see him, which is true. So two months later... I was sitting in front of him at one of his courses and I am now one of his master facilitators of his work because it was just so profound to get me congruent. So that would have been 15 years ago, Lisa. That was about 15. So Avery was um, about two years old. Mm -hmm. Okay. So maybe now you can talk about when you found the courage inside of yourself Mm -hmm. to have the audacity to start your own play therapy model with all of the challenge that's come at you because of that decision that you made. Yeah. I don't know if I could have not done it. I don't know. We'll just start there because I was following what I was loving doing. So after my experience with Avery in the car accident, I was high risk pregnancy. Avery was born. There were complications and challenges in her little body and her nervous system. And I put myself on a journey to help my kid. So, so the whole thing was birthed out of a mother's heart. Totally. 150%. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to cry. Even you just reflecting that back to me, the whole, the whole thing, Stacey was, you know, even the whole, like, I'm going to create to make sure I have food on the table for my kid. Right. I'm going to do what I need to do. She's been such an inspiration to me and she's been such a, um, 
a catalyst for me to get in my heart and do what I need to do because she's taught me so much about what's needed, what she needs. And then, and then relationally, what, what's, you know, what could happen between us. And so as I was on that journey, I, I then just looked at my practice and started asking myself parallel questions like, wait a second, why am I not doing here what I'm doing here? At home. Yeah. At home. Like, this is so helpful here. Why am I separating my home life and my work life? Mm-hmm. Why am I not being congruent across the board? Mm-hmm. And so it was almost like I couldn't not then try it because it's like I, I saw this working. But having said that, I did go through another crisis of, well, I'm not supposed to do this because this is not what you do in the play therapy field. Or, you know, there were certain ways I wanted to show up with the child or certain interventions I wanted to do that were like, that's just not what you do in play therapy. But Stacy, I couldn't not, I couldn't not do it. Otherwise, there was a part of me that was just bored out of my mind. Yeah. Bored out of my mind, just feeling like there was an opportunity for healing just left on the table. And so it was like a little bit of permission for me to explore, test different ideas, really wrap my brain around some of the things that I was learning from Dr. Demartini, you know, around this idea that, uh, you know, every crisis, there, there is a gift and a crisis. So even if I said something, let's say, that maybe didn't sit well with the child or family, we could still heal in that. Like we could, there would still be growth in that. And so lots of permission for me to like try it on and then work out whatever needs to happen because, you know, like you tried it on and magic started to happen really is, is what happened actually. So how did you go from knowing you were breaking rules Uh to having the courage, the bravery, the audacity to birth something that is now an internationally renowned institute where child therapists seek you out from all over the world to learn about relationship, interpersonal neurobiology, the nervous system. Like, can you talk about the importance of needing to break rules in order to create something new, right? And the adversity that you've experienced along the way and how that adversity has actually helped you grow, it hasn't crushed you. It has actually helped you bloom even more. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah. This may not sound sexy. I just kept following what emerged in front of me on some level that that is what happened. So as I became myself and I started to do what I was doing with my clients, People started to notice. People started to ask. And then it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, but we want you to teach us. Okay. Well, I guess I have to figure out what it is that I'm I'm doing, doing, what I'm doing in order to teach it. And then I would teach it. And then someone would try it on. And then people would hear. And then more people would come. Hey, can you teach me too? So it was really a, the more congruent process. Yeah, the more congruent I was, the more opportunity was reflected back, right? The more people started to show up of like, I'm curious about you. I'm curious about what you're doing. And so I, I really just grew it from the from that momentum. And, you know, at some point, someone said, Lisa, um, I want to be able to practice with you. Okay, well, what does an internship maybe look like or an externship? Okay, so let's move into this. Okay, Lisa, we want you to come and, uh, you know, present on this stage. Okay, I guess I have to figure out how to make a PowerPoint. Okay, so let's figure that out. And so I have just found, Stacy, that the more I'm willing to be true to myself, mm-hmm. with yes, there is an intention at this point. I mean, I have a, I have a vision. I know what I would love. I know I'm clear about why I'm on the planet. I'm I'm really clear about that. Mm -hmm. I'm clear that my life is purposeful. Mm -hmm. And the more I hold on to that and trust what keeps showing up and then recognize, this is kind of part two to your question, recognize that every time I up level into anything new, I'm going to get a beautiful dose 
of people loving what I'm doing and people can't not even be able to stand what I'm doing. And as long as I know that that's part of the journey and that's unavoidable, then I can start to go, okay, well, I'm going to get challenged. I'm going to get naysayers. I'm going to get people that are straight up trying to throw rocks at me. I'm going to get people that are going to try to tear me down. I mean, whatever it is. So how can I use that if it's going to be there? Mm-hmm. So rather than being afraid of it, how do I use it? And I've, I've learned to ask myself questions like, all right, what feedback are they giving me? That's actually useful for me to tighten up what I'm teaching or what, you know, what fear am I noticing they have? Is there a way that I can address that in a different way? Or great. So if uh, this door is closing over here, you know, cool. Well, maybe that means that my energy is not supposed to go there right now. But you know what? My phone's ringing off the hook over here for this opportunity. So maybe the naysayer in this moment is actually um, course correcting me and giving me permission to stop paying attention to this and to pay attention to this opportunity. So I really spend time thinking about how can I use this? What is, why is this showing up? And the more I can see that and hold it and not be under the fantasy that somehow I'm going to create my next level or I'm going to go to my next level of whatever I'm doing and, and everyone's going to be like, oh my God, I love you, Lisa. Then I have a better time, again, staying here, reminding myself of what my purpose is, what my vision is, reminding myself of why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, looking over at my daughter, reminding me what I'm up to, continuing to learn and and grow from her, and just, you know, staying here. Stacey, there's a thought that's coming in that I want to address also, which is that all of this, and I think we all, to be honest, there's always a price to pay. A hundred percent. And so I think sometimes people can look at what I've created and they're like, oh my gosh, Lisa, you're so successful or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, I've gotten my butt kicked along the way. Pretty dang, pretty dang good. Yep. I, uh, I had to get divorced. That's something that I don't think people connect with me sometimes. I I don't think people make, at least in my life, that may not be true for, I'm not saying you got to go out and get a divorce to be able to go and create, that's not what I'm saying. But in my world, because the divorce offered me time to get my footing because Avery went back and forth. So it offered me some time to create and it offered me some alone time to figure out what I needed to do or to travel, to be able to get some momentum. Now, again, I mean, that can happen in the context of being married too, but for me, that's what I needed. I may not be here having this conversation if I had never gotten divorced. That's a, that's, that's a possibility. I've also chosen parenting and my career as my primary focus. So I'm still not, I'm, I'm not remarried. I haven't been remarried since um, since we've separated, that's a conscious choice. Now, when Avery goes to college, we'll see if things shift for me, but there's always a price. So I have chosen to build my dream and I've chosen to focus on Avery as my primary things. It's not that I haven't dated, but you know, not, not to the point of partnership to go the distance with, if that makes sense. Right, right, right. For somebody else, their price they might be paying is, not having kids. That might be the thing. For someone else, the price that they pay may be choosing to hold off on building what they want to build because the marriage and the kids feels like they're primary. And so they're willing to have this piece of it for a period of time and then have this piece of it. Someone else price they might pay is, you know, maybe choice to travel or not travel, but like, there's always something that we have to, to give up. If that makes sense. There's a cost. There's a cost either and way. Either way. And when we are congruent back to that whole piece, when we're congruent, we're connected to ourselves. 
then we're clear about what we're willing to have that cost be. And that cost can feel purposeful and can feel like part of the journey, like a very purposeful part of the journey, rather than a feeling of lack or missing. Does that make sense? Can I give you permission to toot your own horn for a minute and explain what you've been able to create? Because, you know, there may be listeners that have no idea who you are. So can you kind of toot your horn for a minute and talk about where are you in your business and your growth? I mean, I'm guessing you're amazed at what you've been able to do, Lisa. When I pause to reflect or... Well, then let's let's pause, honey. When someone says, Lisa, I need you to... I really want you to toot your horn for a minute. Go for it. Oh goodness, Stacy. Oh goodness. Well, I'll tell you why. Because in my own journey, it brings me a lot of hope and energy to know what you've been able to accomplish. So, if you'll just give yourself permission to toot your horn now, go for it. Okay. So. You know, after Avery was born. So we'll just start there. Right. I lived in a small town up in the mountains in Colorado. And I had my private practice um, where I was seeing clients one day a week. That's what I was doing 15, 16 years ago as a reference point. So I was mostly stay at home mom. And I had my, my one little, one little, one little day of seeing clients. So that was what, maybe five or six clients a week. That's, okay. that's what it is. Oh, wow. That is a really big thing to go 15 years. Oh, and here we are. And here we are. <laughs> um, so I have, I've created a, a model of therapy for children called Synergetic Play Therapy. That is one of the predominant models of healing for kids in the world. I am the president of the Synergetic Play Therapy Institute where we train therapists worldwide. We are an an international global organization. I have a a team of, gosh. Fabulous people. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like, how many people do I have on payroll? I believe I have 23 people on payroll. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running a company for sure. Yep, yep. I've been able to transition just this past year to someone running the company for me. So I'm actually now a business owner that is more able to just focus on the things that I love to do, which is um, creating, writing, teaching. I have a book that I have written that is a highly acclaimed book um, that specializes on understanding aggression. I uh, have a podcast that um, is in 156 countries. I have uh, won some awards along the way for my work and my my contribution. Oh my gosh, Stacey, this is so interesting. Like, like so. Let's Uh, (laughs) let's end with this. What may have felt like a failure Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And maybe even some guilt in the beginning, like, oh, I can't show up for my daughter the way that I would have originally wanted to. Now that she's 17, can you talk about how she views you, your relationship to your daughter, how what could have been something that could have destroyed you has actually empowered you and many, many others And this did not in any way break your relationship with your child, but just the opposite. And so let's, can we end there? Because that's really an an inspirational um, piece of your story that I would love to leave people with, if you're willing. Yes. So she lives with me full time now. Uh, So I get to be mama um, full time now that I am a business owner. Right. So I've been able to create the thing to where now I'm at the point where I can just be with her in these last couple of years before she is on to her next next journey. 
So that feels quite inspiring to see that I was able to create and come, come full circle with that. She said to me years ago, particularly when I was um, traveling pretty heavily, she had a moment of, oh, mom, like you got to go again kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting down with her and really asked like thoughtfully, like Avery, do you really need me to stop? Like, is this like, what's really true for you? Mm -hmm. And it it actually put that question inside of her, like, well, wait a second, like, do I really, do I really need mom to stop? And what she actually said was, mom, no, like, please don't. When she actually reflected on it, she said, mom, please don't, because I need you to keep showing me what's possible. I remember um, another moment where Avery was like seven or something and maybe eight. And we went out to dinner with some friends and there was someone that had joined that neither one of us had met before. And so this individual was asking a little bit about what I do. And I was just sharing a couple of things. And this individual said, wow, you have accomplished so much in such a short period of time. And Avery leans in and goes, and she's a woman. And, and the significance of that was when she's made comments like that over the years, what it has shown me is that she's watching that that's the whole point of this. She's been watching me, right? She's been watching me and she's been watching me go for it. And she's been also listening to how I have conversation with her about what I am doing um, and how I bring her into my vision and help her understand what I'm up to so that it makes sense to her. So I shared with you that early on, like the money wasn't there, you know? Yeah, right. And Avery, who also has a very global way of looking at things and who's super inspired by the idea of traveling, we would often look at different picture books and things like that of places. And I remember saying to her, we were looking at a photo of the Eiffel Tower. And I said to her, Avery, hang in there with me. I'm creating, right? I'm creating something for us. Hang in there. Like I know it's rough right now, but someday I am going to put us on a plane and I'm going to take you to the Eiffel Tower so that you can touch it and so that you don't have to look at it in a book. And that that actually happened last summer. We went and it was a, again, full circle moment. So all that to say is that I, as her mom, have wanted to put myself in a position where when she thinks of who is a female role model in my world, I want her to say my mom, you know, I want, I want to be on the list with all the other women she's going to name and all the historical people, but I want, I want to be on that list um, also of inspired people and people that have shown her what's possible. And part of that's just helping her feel connected with the vision along the way so that she really is tuned into what I'm doing and, and, and what I'm up to. Lisa, I can't thank you enough for this last hour. Oh, thanks, Stacy. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for asking me about my story. Absolutely. And yeah. for those of you that are listening, if you'd like to reach out to Lisa, can you give them some information of how they can reach you? Yeah, sure. So there's um, two websites that might be of interest. One is synergeticplaytherapy.com, which is the Institute's website. And the other one is Lisa, which is L-A-S-A hyphen. Dion, which is D-I-O-N.com, which is my, my personal website. Excellent. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much, Stacy. Thank you, everyone. Take good care. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Families podcast. Please subscribe to our feed and share this with your family and friends.